On this episode of the podcast, Bones visits an old flame, not realizing how salty she's become. Jim Kirk teaches an archaeologist who's boss, and Star Trek premieres on national television by showing episode six first, because even Star Trek did that before Star Wars. I'm Captain Awesome. I'm the Triple Hippie. Sit down, grab a hold of something, because there are no seatbelts on this bridge. Hey everybody, it is Star Trek Day. As a special treat, we're going to talk about the first ever aired episode of Star Trek The Original Series, which, if you didn't know, was first shown on September 8th, 1966. Which finally answers the reason why September 8th is Star Trek Day, because you know what? I had absolutely no idea why that was until you told me. Well, admittedly, it probably makes more sense for it to have been on First Contact Day. That's what I always thought. You know, it's it's the end of summer. They need something to get everybody interested again. <laughs> now, the really odd thing is this actually premiered two days earlier in Canada. So just like Thanksgiving, Star Trek Day is different in Canada than is the U.S. You kind of have to adjust for the customs. <laughs> Oh, and goodness. the original story on this was written by George Clayton Johnson, who was a screenplay actually who did a lot of work. He, he wrote on the original Logan's Run movie as well as the television show, and he was involved in writing for all of the Ocean's movies, Ocean 11, 12, 13, uh, 8, and both the original Ocean's 11 as well as the contemporary version. Wow, that's pretty impressive that he got to write on all of the Ocean's movies. And he wrote a Star Trek episode, right? a very, very weird one. It is super weird. Um, it is the it's the first one that they put on the air. Uh, it was the sixth one that they made. That they, made. Uh, they apparently aired it first because it was more exciting and quote had a monster, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the cast and the crew hated it. It was their least favorite of all the episodes they made. <laughs> uh, this episode was so bad that the original title was the Unreal McCoy. <laughs> Which I'm sorry, I think it's better a better title. <laughs> Missed opportunity, <laughs> right? Now, uh, Sean Ellard at CBR.com also uh, wrote an article and said another one of the reasons why this was chosen is that it starts the episode with the transporter effect, and the studio was so in love with that transporter effect they thought that's going to be something that grabs the audience, and so they wanted to upfront in as soon as possible and. This particular episode starts with Captain Kirk and McCoy and a couple other people beaming down to a planet. Well, I, I will say that it, it was something absolutely extraordinary. What's what is weird about it though is that people were not ready for this back in the sixties. Uh, so much so that when TV Guide did their review of it, they <laughs> actually said this belongs on Saturday morning as a kids' show. There's nobody who's going to watch this during prime time. The <laughs> writing is terrible. There's no reason to put this on the air. Uh, and on top of that, Gene Roddenberry's dad was so embarrassed by this show that he actually went around his neighborhood and apologized to his neighbors for the fact that his son put this on the air. So yeah, it took a little bit of getting used to. Now for Star Trek geeks, just want to set this, uh, kind of in the timeline for Star Trek. So this episode, this adventure occurs roughly in 2266, uh, Kirk would have taken command of the Enterprise in 2265 that we don't know exactly when. Um, so 
and we'll actually be going back in time in another in an episode because the first episode uh, where no man has gone before actually takes place in 2265 and it won't air for another couple of episodes. But this is about 203 years since first contact, about 115 years since the launch of Jonathan Archer's NX-01 Enterprise. And this is about seven years before Star Trek The Motion Picture takes place. So that just kind of puts you roughly to where we are in the whole Star Trek universe. So that's kind of interesting if you think about it. The NBC executives are actually the ones who made it so acceptable for Star Trek to do time travel because they didn't want to show them in order. <laughs> it's science like fiction. It. You can do anything. Right? <laughs> so they, uh, so the opening scene's great. As you said, they transport down to the planet. Um, one of the things that I thought was really awesome about this is that they had the um, – the, uh, the captain's narrating going on, uh, explaining what it is that's going on. Now in reading about Gene uh, Roddenberry, it turns out he actually was really a big fan of narration as a tool so that the audience didn't have to figure out what was going on, which I, I thought was, it, it's a little bit of a cheat, but I mean, I'm a Star Trek fan. Of course I like it. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's kind of our thing. So he starts off with the captain's log, which honestly was a great way to achieve that narration effect. I thought it was really cool. It, it had a similar effect as uh, the other Desilu property of this time, uh, Mission Impossible, where the little speaker, the little tape would talk to Peter Graves and pretty much lay out, here's what the plot of your show is going to be. You've got so much going on. We're just going to give you the plot up front so we can just kind of dive right into it. <laughs> right. You know, I, I we all complained in the 80s that the networks thought we were dumb, but Look at this stuff. <laughs> they really thought people weren't going to get it. Um, so they so they explain that this planet is a uh, is basically an archaeological dig. There is a professor who's down there, and they have to do a well check to try to figure out if everybody's healthy. So they transport down to the planet with their cowboy guns on their hips because. <laughs> Everybody just got done filming Westerns. Gene just got done writing Westerns. All the crew just got off of filming more Westerns. So I guess they just felt like it. Despite its altruistic nature, uh, Starfleet has something of a gun culture. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I did think that um, it, it seemed very legit to be like, you know, there's a research mission going on in a remote part of the galaxy. Yes, we're going to do well visits. I thought it was a little odd that they would send the flagship of the Federation to go do that. Like, you know, maybe, you know, there's a medical ship or, you know, you got a doctor on contract from the Klingon empire or something. Well, maybe not the Klingons, not this time. Sorry. sorry. <laughs> well, maybe a Vulcan is, doctor. This is another example of the uh, Star Trek trope of, you know, you're the only sh ship in the area. And mm -hmm. it's one of those things that I still haven't quite decided if Starfleet just didn't have a lot of ships or if Starfleet just preferred Jim Kirk to be as far away from Earth as possible. Uh, one of those two things happened, but it comes up a lot in Star Trek. You know, it, it turns out it's actually Janice Rand. Um, Starfleet's got a real problem with her, so they stuck <laughs> her on a ship and Kirk just got pulled along for the ride. <laughs> So we're going to see Rand in this. We're actually going to see um, pretty much the entire crew, except for Scotty, the first season crew, uh, first season crew. We're going to hear Scotty, but we're actually not going to see him, which is a bit odd because the original script actually called for Scotty to be mostly in it. And they kind of swapped that out and Spock ended up being uh, a little more 
a little more prominent, especially later on in the episode when they have the gunfight down on the planet. Just one more example of James Doohan getting screwed over. <laughs> one thing I do want to mention is that I am watching these on the Paramount Plus and they're the digital remasters. Uh-huh. And I really, really just want to say just what an incredible job they've done on the original series on the digital remasters and just throw in there. Would you please do this deep, deep space nine, please, 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 please right. do this to deep space nine. But very, uh, I, very nice. I will say that, um, while I agree, they did a great job of the remasters. The one thing I have a problem with is that the enterprise kind of looks like it's copied and pasted because obviously they can do a lot more work <laughs> on the enterprise than they can do on the background images. I mean, that's, you know, very that's, true. that makes sense. I get it. But it does kind of look like, you know, there's this cartoon slip sliding in front of everything else sometimes. (laughs) But the sad part is it still looks better than the original show did. (laughs) Um, So the thing that I thought was kind of interesting is, so this this opening scene, this is the first time the audience really gets introduced to Kirk. And man, is he a bastard to everybody around (laughs) him. He walks up and he's like, hey, Bones. Uh, are you are you excited to see your girlfriend? Yeah, you want to give her some flowers, <laughs> dude? What are you doing? He pulls a bunch of straw here. Give her some flowers. Uh, and of course, your Bones, girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> and Bones's reaction to this is great. You just look at him like you're a friggin' child, dude. <laughs> I'm not putting up with your crap. See, this would have been the first appearance of the catchphrase they wanted from McCoy, which was "cram it, Jim." But it didn't <laughs> test real well, and so they just went in, eventually just scrubbed it. I think his catchphrase should have been how you like them apples, and every time he just punches <laughs> Kirk in the gut. Tubby. <laughs> so they they walk in the door, the professor's in there, and then in comes the, the woman. Now, they've already told us that this woman is an old flame of bones. She is now remarried to the professor, and... So when they walk in, they're expecting things to be a little awkward. So when she walks in, Bones looks at her and is like, wow, she's just as hot as the last time I saw her. (laughs) And the crewman that's with them sees her as a blonde and Kirk sees her as some kind of mother figure. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Things get real weird real fast. (laughs) So this is, I, I kind of have some questions on this because this could, this could have one of two meanings. This could mean either that Kirk, though we never really knew it after this really has a thing for older women and has kind of a mommy fixation or that the monster could control how it looked and decided I want salt from maybe you McCoy and maybe you crewman Darnell, but that dude, I'm not touching that dude. And so she had made herself as least appealing as she could think of in that particular case. I don't know where that guy's salt has been. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. And then Darnell brings up that she looks like a blonde that he left on a pleasure planet. We are not even three minutes into the Star Trek franchise. Oh. And Gene Roddenberry felt it necessary that we know there are such things as pleasure planets. Thanks, Gene. Oh, my God. I, I have to say. The misogyny in this show, <laughs> just this episode alone, it it makes, um, uh, it makes sixties TV look progressive. <laughs> so, uh, after they all see her looking different, we realize this is weird, and we go to credits. 
great credit scene. This is the first time we get to see the opening credits of Star Trek, the original series with its super haunting music and the starship flying by really fast over and over and over again. It's some pretty good stuff. So I didn't realize that was an electric violin that they used on the original theme. Was it really? Yeah. I would, yeah. I would have thought theremin. <laughs> I know. I always, I always assumed it was a theremin as well, but uh, something I read said it was an electric violin. Um, hmm. And I do want to mention now, I don't know. It's been a while since I've heard the original uh, rendition of this, but I have to say again, when they remastered it, the bongo part, you know, in the Star Trek theme just really, <laughs> really pops. <laughs> Whoever you, was responsible for that really want to thank you. Can you believe we live in a universe where we have to say the bongo part of the Star Trek <laughs> theme? <laughs> but you're right. The, the remastering actually sounds really, really good. So much so that it, it made uh, the captain's overlay really sound like he was talking through a crappy tape recorder. What, why, why did you, why did you record this in the bathroom? I'm I'm just exactly right. (laughs) I'm not saying it was a bad idea. I'm just Mr. Shatner choice. (laughs) Mr. Shatner. We need to, we need to do a a taping of your voiceover. I'll, I'll be there in a minute. You know, you know what? I'm comfy. You guys just stay there. Sir, if we can just get it right now, the crew can go home. Can we just right. can we just tape it? Can we just do it? We'll just put a mic over the top of the stall. <laughs> so after the credits, we go back to planet side. Well, actually, hold on. I I, I do want to <laughs> say on on the credits, um, I I thought that uh, the 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 new bright yellow fonts that they brought out and the the really cool way that all of the um, the the titles were splashing across the screen. I think that was interesting because it didn't actually look like anything else that was on TV. Like most stuff they were using this weird little fade effect to bring things on TV. Oh yeah. This was just like, boom, it's in your face about the only thing that I saw. Uh, I mean, like the man from uncle had some stuff that was kind of cool. Um, there was uh, oh, what was the other one I was watching? I forget. There was a couple others that I thought had some interesting stuff. I mean, hell, even the Munsters had some some cool stuff. But this was something different. It was like really in your face. And I, I think part of it is that they were playing to the uh, the color TVs because color TVs were now starting to to pick up steam in the marketplace. And oh, I, I think, point, yeah, right. I, I think they were really starting to try to play to it. The opening sequence also is special effects heavy only because a lot of the special effects they ordered the first time through were not good enough for them really to use. So they just cut them all into the opening sequence. Is that why it's the ship is going off in every direction? Cause they just, yeah. it was a super cut. Yeah, it was oh, a super so cut. Cool. And I believe that was in uh, Shatner's uh, memories book where he talked about so, the, difficulty, the, the difficulties they had. So they liked the supercut idea so much that it became the standard for every Star Trek series since. That's amazing. <laughs> That's a good point. I hadn't thought about that. <laughs> and all because they were out of time and out of budget, just like everything else good that happens. <laughs> I can't use this for anything. I don't know if we cut it together easy enough, we maybe get a good, I don't know, 45 seconds a minute out of it. Right. And then nerds <laughs> everywhere are trying to recreate it for the next 50 years. <laughs> Irony. <laughs> so we get back to planet side. Uh, and I, I gotta say, uh, the professor, he's a big fat jerk. I don't know what this guy's problem is, <laughs> but it's like, as soon as they show up, he's like, what do you want? Rah, 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 get out of here. 
Um, I, I did think though that they did a really good job of of highlighting the fact that even in the '60s, we're still there's this distrust of the medical industry. <laughs> I like seriously, they're like, oh, well, we're gonna need to, you know, check and make sure you're breathing. And he's like, why would you need to know that? Uh, I know I'm okay. <laughs> And then, of course, he he tries to play it off. Like, oh, I I don't know who any of you people are. Wait a minute, you're totally my wife's ex. I had no idea you were coming. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The last says I get to give you a physical funny galaxy, huh? <laughs> Here, I'm just gonna put on this glove. Don't worry about it. <laughs> and don't forget the tongue depressor. Here, open your mouth. I'm gonna stick this in your mouth. Wait. They still use tongue depressors in the 23rd century. Okay. So no, hold Bones on. just wants to stick something in his mouth. That's totally what happened because they even mention it. He's like, don't you have, don't you have uh, instruments that can see what's wrong with me and everything? And he's like, I like to have a personal touch <laughs> and jams a tongue depressor in his mouth. Like, what is that? I find a medical tricorder isn't near as intimidating as a tongue depressor. Now, the um let, let's talk about his medical tricorder for a sec this is of course every star trek nerd knows this his little handheld device that he waves over the guy they're absolutely salt and pepper shakers <laughs> they're very very fancy scandinavian salt and pepper shakers yes. that'll come up later because it turns out they actually bought these for a different scene and ended up not liking them because they didn't think people could tell they were salt and pepper shakers on tv so they turned them into a prop and in uh, in Shatner's Star Trek Memories book, he talks about how uh, um, uh, Matt Jeffries, the art director for Star Trek, had a standing order that if you were some pl- at a restaurant and the salt and sh- paper, sh- pardon me, the salt and pepper shakers were unique or strange looking at all, then mm-hmm. you should swipe them. That's because fantastic. they would go into McCoy's uh, sick bay, just just as back- background pop- props. I wonder if that was one of those things where they're like, you know, we really don't have any budget. We can use some more tchotchkes for back there. Or if it was like, (laughs) I'm going to see how many of these things I can get in there. (laughs) (laughs) So so Bones comments on the fact that she looks young, right? (laughs) And he's like, oh, she she hasn't aged in 12 years. Dude, your wife is hot. Right? So... He's talking about the the professor's talking about her, and he's like, you know, being alone, it's it's fine for me, but for a woman, you understand. <laughs> like, <laughs> what? <laughs> this is this is one of those weird things about Star Trek. Women are portrayed as kick-ass professionals or withering flowers that need to be rescued, and there's not a lot of space in between. It just seems like they're either the top of their game or okay we're gonna have to gonna have to take care of you right it's, it's kind of a strange you know two opposite sides of the spectrum without a lot of nuance in between oh and it's gonna last forever i mean even voyager when you've got you know the captain's a woman they still manage to throw in oh but she's very weak like, <laughs> what are you doing um so Bones comments that she hasn't aged in 12 years, just like the last time I saw her as a girl of 25. <laughs> Those have been some hard years on Bones. <laughs> Holy years, crap. It's the mileage, baby. <laughs> Jeez Louise. 
He's supposed to be in his 30s? <laughs> now, in all fairness, he's only 10 years older than that, but man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's uh he's he's lived a hard life in space, that's for that's for darn sure. Look, I'm 44. Nobody's going to be mistaking me for my early 30s, trust me. <laughs> um so I I do find this this whole scene is just so icky. Like <laughs> We're going to sit around and we're going to talk about your wife like she's some girl I met on vacation while I'm going to force you to submit to a medical exam. Like, it's just blah. (laughs) And Kirk's whole thing of like, well, yeah, I saw your wife. She don't look no 25. Right? Dude, you're in his house. What the hell? Seriously. Well, it doesn't last long. Thankfully, the cringe stops. Crewman um, <laughs> Darnell has gone outside because after he was oogling the the wife, both Kirk and Bones were like, um, you need to leave. <laughs> You're creepy. <laughs> you are making us very uncomfortable. <laughs> so they had sent him outside. And while they're doing the medical exam, they hear a scream. Oh, no. So they run outside and we have our first very historical moment. At eight minutes, 10 seconds, Michael Zaslow, playing crewman Darnell, makes history as the first crewman to die on a Star Trek away mission on screen. <laughs> and ironically, he's wearing a blue shirt. Yeah. It's I not mean, the jock, it's the nerd who gets offed first. It's true. It's true. Um, now, after this, he also is going to appear in Star Trek First Contact 30 years later. Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought that was kind of yeah. Neat. And he's, then, just, he's, he's a glorified background actor in that one, but <laughs> I mean, hey, it was. But it's a cool thing to get to come back and do, right? Oh heck yeah, that's the nice thing about Trek. Things come back, people come back. And then, in another historical first, what happens ex- or directly after that? <laughs> he's dead, Jim. It's our very first one. It's a beautiful thing. <laughs> So the professor gets right off the bat, baby. Oh, right. (laughs) So the professor comes out and he looks around. He's like, Oh, your dude's dead. (laughs) Man. Sorry. (laughs) Wait a minute. (laughs) They're thinking, or she tells them that he's eaten something poisonous. And the the professor's like, wow, that was pretty stupid. Wasn't it? (laughs) (laughs) No. Oh my God. That guy died. No, no, no. Wow. That guy's stupid. How much vegetation <laughs> did you see on this planet when they first beamed down? I mean, right? Honestly, it's all rocks and dirt. Scr- he would have to scrounge something to find something. He's like, ooh, look at that. I should eat that. Right? <laughs> That's uh, the only green thing I've seen on the planet so far. So far. I wonder what it tastes like. Now, I, I do have to say, I, I think lighting technology has thankfully come a lot further because, holy crap, was everybody on that set sweating. <laughs> Just every scene, just dripping. And all the outside scenes were even worse when they were on this dirt set. Oh my God, those poor bastards were just dripping. And of course, every time they look at Bones, they use the Vaseline camera lens. And so he's like sweaty and drippy and pissed off and he's blurry. And you're like, ugh. <laughs> let's try to make him look 37 let's try to make him look 37 come on there's more vaseline on that thing so we go back to the bridge 
and we get our first view of Spock and Uhura. And ew. (laughs) (laughs) Spock is sitting there going over reports in the captain's chair. And Uhura comes up and she just is fluttering her eyelashes in him. She's literally sitting on her elbows on the side of the chair and looking up into his face. And she's, I'll just cry if I ever hear the word frequency again. (laughs) Oh my God. Now this, this scene actually takes on a different dynamic now because thanks to strange new worlds, we know they've known each other for years. Mm Mm-hmm when we first see this as star Trek fans, when it's coming out, you think these are, these are officers getting to know each other somewhat, but no, they've known each other for, I mean, a long time at this point. So it, it has kind of a different dynamic to it. See, I didn't get that at all. What I got is that they've been doing it for a while. And (laughs) Spock tried to cut things off and she's a clingy chick. That's what this scene felt like to me. Wrong timeline. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, so there is some background to this. Uh, so her, her line about if I hear frequency again, I'll cry is because during filming, uh, she was really tired of having to say the line hailing frequencies open. She, uh, apparently they had a couple really bad scenes. And then on top of it, they have already filmed five episodes and she was just really upset about this and had complained about it on set. And she actually told Leonard Nimoy, if I have to say the word frequency one more time, I'll blow up this goddamn panel. (laughs) (laughs) So apparently the writers thought that was a funny little outburst and decided to put it in the show. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I can't blame her too much. I mean, at this point, she's been demoted from uh, being a commander and a second officer as she was supposed to be in the original uh, script for Star Trek. Um, now she's got a demotion down to the point where she's behind both Scotty and Sulu in the command chain, which who knows how that happened. And this episode, she's wearing the red uniform, which everybody is used to the, the iconic red uniform. But the episodes that were pre- produced previous to this, she was wearing command gold um, mm-hmm. rather than uh, uh, support the support red. So I would just say to Alex Kurtzman, the guy in charge of Star Trek, did Uhura have a brief period where she was on the command track? And if so, what happened during that brief period and what made her decide to go back to support? Because in strange world, she's in a support uniform. So that seems like a whole series just right there. It's, it's that whole relationship with Spock. She gets caught in every timeline. (laughs) That's what it is. So, um, the, the thing about Spock in this scene is he doesn't come off as, aloof he doesn't come off as as logical he comes off as just straight up hostile like uh, when his responses to her like why would i do that what what are you talking about like dude settle down a little bit (laughs) Uh, when i saw roddenberry speak uh uh at the university of Alaska when he gave a lecture, um, he talked about the fact that he was trying to make Spock, uh, kind of grim because he felt he had to work twice as hard as a minority to just measure up to the other officers. Um, and that was actually the reason why he had to force Kelly read for Spock first, because he wanted kind of a gruff, uh, um, exterior to the character, uh, to the character. Oh God. Can you, Oh, that show never would have made it. (laughs) <laughs> that would have been terrible. Oh my God. I'm really sorry that they cut off uh, 
uh, what Spock used to do in the cage, where every time that uh, Captain Pike would say everything, anything, Spock would just yell it really loud across the room. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine he did that one or two times with, with Jim Kirk, and Jim was like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> right. <laughs> so they, uh, so, okay. So the, the, the away team comes back and I have to give them credit where it's due. This is the only time I can think of where they make a big deal about a random crewman dying on an away mission. <laughs> They're like, holy crap, a guy just died. <laughs> Whereas every other series, they're like, well, you know, listen, yes, somebody died, but we've got stuff to do. So we're not really going to talk about that. We've got to move this show along. This one, they're like, oh, man, Darnell died. What are we going to do now? (laughs) Well, I have to say it's kind of shocking when you're told, we're just going to stop by and give a physical to a couple of of archaeologists and come back. Hey, you know, Darnell, you know, Bill Darnell died down there. Wait, what? I just played ball with him yesterday. What are you talking about? So because of the fact that we know he's dead, we head over to sick bay because they've got to do an autopsy to try to figure out what happened to this guy. (laughs) So they start talking about poisoning and I got to say, there's a few things that are weird about this scene. First (laughs) off, they start talking to Spock on the view screen because he's still on the bridge. And for some reason, while sitting in the captain's chair on a view screen, Spock's got Uhura's communicator jammed in his ear. Why? Listening to podcasts. Oh, you know what? He's like one of those kids with the, with the Apple earbud, just one (laughs) earbud stuck in. That must be it. You know, when that screen came on, he got all surly and yanked it out of his ear. It was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) So this is also the first time that McCoy just flat out calls BS on Jim. Don't tell me how to do my job. Because Jim's, you know, having the audacity to ask, was he poisoned? <laughs> Which this supports my theory that Leonard McCoy is actually an ancestor of uh, Quincy, the medical examiner <laughs> from television played by Jack Klugman. I always assume that somehow those two people were related. <laughs> God, Jack Klugman is Quincy. I, I actually watched Quincy a lot. Uh, Honestly, I, I would have loved for them to have, because, um, in Voyager, Robert Picardo really wanted to do a scene with a holodeck Dr. McCoy, but DeForest Kelly was never well enough for them actually to do it. Hmm. And I thought the obvious thing was, well, no, go farther back and find McCoy's ancient ancestor, Quincy, and have an episode where you have, you know, a, uh, Oh, that that's straight up Voyager's Alley. They would have done that. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, it is really a shame with all the holodeck stuff they did on TNG Voyager and DS nine that the, the Star Trek franchise was so anti pop culture reference. Yes. Because, oh man, they could have had some serious fun. (laughs) I mean, I just watched the Orville and they had a scene where, um, an alien who is fighting a rev, uh, a um, uh, fighting a resistance, they bring her into their holodeck and she sits down and has a talk with Dolly Parton because oh, the, captain, the captain introduced her to Dolly Parton's music. And so she began to idolize her. So he's like, well, she should go talk to her. And so she sits down and talks to her on the holodeck. We could do stuff like that all the time. If Trek would just acknowledge pop culture exists. <laughs> 
maybe play some Rage Against the Machine or Beastie Boys. I don't know. (laughs) So, uh, so, uh, McCoy says, all tests say that this man should just get up and walk away. (laughs) To which I say, he should have. He, He should have just sat up in that bed, walked out the door, Roll the monsters footage, call it a day. <laughs> Would have made for an entirely different series. So instead Kirk doesn't of, think that's ver- what's that? I was gonna say instead we get Jim Kirk telling Bones how to do his job. Oh, and he not just telling him, he yells at him. <laughs> and he's like, oh, I said to just figure it out. Okay, fine. And so Bones says, Yes, sir. Which to me, it was, I just got the thing. It was like in his mind going, what the hell? I mean, cause you know, I'm a space doctor, right? I just don't like leave things and just go off. I came out here to like investigate stuff. I'm, I'm right? really confused why you're yelling at me to do my job. Well, and seeing bones say, yes, sir. Uh, my parents have been divorced since I was one. It would be like watching them kiss. <laughs> like, ew, it was so icky. <laughs> Um, God. might have to cut that. <laughs> so we go back to the bridge, and Kirk's got a coffee cup, <laughs> and not just any coffee cup. Clearly, a paper coffee cup from the commissary. Well, I will say this: if Star Trek has done nothing, it's given me faith that coffee is going to exist in the future, <laughs> and I feel really good about how things are going to turn out. I mean, don't get me wrong. That is very enriching. But every time he took a sip and you could see Desi Lou written on the bottom, it really took me out of the moment. I'm just oh, saying. Here's the other thing. He puts in his log that one crewman dead by violence. That's <clears throat> not what the doctor said, dude. Nope. Doctor said <laughs> that he poisoned all. himself. <laughs> We're not sure why he's dead. Oh, well, somebody probably offed him then. <laughs> okay. Like, so his his log is one thing, but we're about to get into the weirdest scene of this whole show. Oh, that, like, geez. why did you guys do that? He's he's sipping out of his coffee and Ahura looks to him and says, sir, Commander Ding- Dominguez wants to know where his supplies are. And they zoom in on Shatner's face. And in this just granning, smirking, smarmy, oh. Tell Jose he'll get his chili peppers when we get there. <laughs> I picked them myself. I picked him by hand some prime Mexican reds. <laughs> Ew. Oh my God. Ca- Captain Kirk, I, I think he was talking about the vaccines that were needed for the plague. I right? Just... <laughs> <laughs> Though, if that is what he meant, I'm going to say, once again, just like coffee, hey man, if... If Mexican food still exists in the future and it has reached out to the farthest reaches of space, you know what? We're, we're doing okay. Well, that's true. But here's the thing that bugs me the most about this. This is captain in the Federation of Planets. <laughs> and he's got somebody named Dominguez. And he immediately says, that guy's Mexican. <laughs> Once again, ew. And he called him Jose. I really hope in the script his name was Jose Dominguez because otherwise that's really not cool. 
I'm going to assume it is. I'm going to assume that the scene was supposed to establish that Jim Kirk was a friend to everyone, no matter what their ethnicity was, because he was just that cool of dude. I guess. Or (laughs) it's 1966 and it's for some reason, okay to be racist. (laughs) So we go back to the sick bay and bones is going to tell Kirk that he figured out what the problem is. This man is completely unsalted. Which means he's dead, but on the other bright side, his blood pressure is amazing. <laughs> so, um, then Bones looks at Kirk and he's like, you know, I, I, I gotta apologize. Um, you know, maybe I was mooning over my ex instead of, you know, doing my job. And Kirk's like, of course. <laughs> Like, yep, that's exactly what happened. You suck, and you were doing that. Bones just looks like somebody punched him. It seems like the classy thing would be not to draw attention to it. God, the the interpersonal relationships in the first episode are so weird. And I know it's because we've gotten used to a certain way of things of working, a certain way things work. But oh man, it's super weird. <laughs> So we go back down to the planet and Kirk's all pissed off again. So now he just starts ordering everybody around, which actually it turns out is the most authentic thing Kirk has done the entire franchise (laughs) where he's like, all right, we have a problem. We're going to figure out the solution. You go do your job. You go do your job. You go do your job. Everybody go. Wow. (laughs) It kind of seems like Jim kind of, at times relished his whole, I'm the only law in these peer parts uh, role just a bit too much. I, I, he, he threw himself into that a, a little hard at times. Well, that's true. And uh, the, the, you know, they did establish that Kirk was kind of old folksy on top of that. Uh, because of course he says that I don't like mysteries. Mysteries give me a belly ache. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so you explored the galaxy because you hate mysteries. Wow, dude, you guys set yourself up for failure. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm an explorer. I swear. No, not, don't be a good mysterious, please. Not mysterious. I like to explore things that I already know what they are. What's, what's right? the big deal? Well, well, then Crater comes back and screams at him, you know, you can't. You're coming down here and just interrupting our work. It's like, (laughs) yes, because, you know, these three days we've spent, who's going to catalog the civilization that peaked at the advent of paper mache, you know? (laughs) (laughs) One of the things I love about the, the ruins on the planet, though, is that the statue that is out in front of the ruins will later show up in Spock's quarters in Amic time, which makes me think Spock or maybe Vulcan's general kind of have that British museum thought of everything. You know what? That's kind of cool. I'm going to put that in my apartment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He stepped right over the sign that said, take only pictures, leave only footprints. <laughs> um, so he, of course the, the, the professor's got to be like, Hey, Hey buddy, you sure you can't give me any salt? I'm going to need some salt. Come on, let's have some salt. <laughs> and Kirk's like, well, how much salt do you have? And he goes over, opens his, his container, and he's like, well, we started with 25 pounds of salt. And he picks out this tiny, or this little, like ornate bottle. <laughs> he's like, well, this is all we've got left. It's got a little tiny bit in the bottom, but you had 25 pounds of salt. How much salt were you putting into each one of the, into this <laughs> bottle at a time? And Why? 
This is this is what was keeping Crater alive. The question is, this creature killed everybody, including Nancy Crater, but did not kill Professor Crater because Professor Crater had put the salt into a alien-proof bottle that only right. he could open. And and it it like, had one of those little plastic me, but... tops you have to push and turn. <laughs> <laughs> you can kill me, but who's going to open the bottle and give you salt? <laughs> so <laughs> they go outside. And he kind of looks like, you know, Nancy, you got some splaining to do. Like, did you, <laughs> you did it again, didn't you? He's, he's calling like his dog just dug up his neighbor's flower bed. Nancy, right? Nancy, come here, Nancy. Um, <laughs> and that's, of course, how they find out that they lost another crewman. <laughs> um, and then Nancy, after hearing her name and knowing she's going to be in trouble, she is behind a rock and turns herself into the guy she just killed, who is Crewman Green. And she comes walking around the, the, the rock, and we see that Crewman Green is wearing an amazing ducktail haircut <laughs> with a, a, a beautiful poof on the front, <laughs> which led me to start noticing everybody's haircuts. And to be honest, there is no uniform policy on this bridge or on this ship whatsoever. <laughs> No, she she saw between the two guys she killed, one dude was bald, and she's like, no, I'm, I'm going for the guy with the hair. I want her. Uh, so, uh, so they can't find Nancy because she's now turned into Crewman Green. So Bones freaks out and starts yelling, Nancy, Nancy, Nancy. Kirk grabs hold of him. And tells him to stop thinking with his <laughs> glance. <laughs> How do you know you're watching a show in the 60s? <laughs> and, and Jim Kirk, of all people, right? is going to throw this at somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. It's oh, one of those things. Stop that, thinking uh, with your glance. She's not even green. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. She's not hot. What are you doing? <laughs> God, and he's thinking, yeah, you just keep thinking of that, Jim. You just keep thinking that. Just right? stay away. <laughs> so they go back to the ship. Kirk's walking down the hall. And I love this scene. So this is this is definitely one of those scenes where they just they they had it sitting as footage of all right, chat, walk down the hall, cut. All right, we'll save that for whatever episode we need of somebody walking down the hall. <laughs> and yeah, he's that- he's hustling down the hall, and there's this poor guy who's in one of the alcoves, you know, the, the original series enterprise had alcoves all along the hallway with like random pipes and grates in them and stuff. And there'd always be somebody in there working this poor guy in a red shirt. He's clearly (laughs) like peeking around the corner for when Shatner walks by so that he can duck out and walk. And the way he does it, it's just so icky. He just looks like, Oh, like, uh, is it, is it, is it okay for me to come out now? And I I love the whole thing of they get back on the ship. So it's really easy for the alien to, he's turned into green or it's turned into green. They get on the ship. And as soon as they get on the ship, Bones and Kirk just basically don't even say anything green, just walk out the door. So it's like, well, yeah, it's going to be easy to infiltrate the ship because your senior officers refuse to accept that you even exist. If you're not like holding a tricorder and being on a planet or taking a bullet for them. (laughs) Well, and, and Green walks around and doesn't have a speaking part. So what we do know is Ensign Green got paid scale. 
because he doesn't say a word the whole time he's on the ship. But <laughs> I did not notice seems, that. Right? And he clearly seems to uh, know where he's going because he walks all over the place and just manages to get where he needs to go. Uh, well, I don't know. Maybe he's just lucky. I mean, it is a ship. It's got <laughs> elevators. Who knows? It's one big round circle. Right? Now, I did think that this scene, though, when Kirk's walking down the hall and we get the creepy ensign, whatever, there is a great shot here where there is somebody clearly carrying a camera. Now, at the time, shadows are all wrong. The camera's bouncing and stuff. It looks terrible. <laughs> but the way that they do the scene and they follow him all the way into the turbo lift and then the camera swings around so that it's looking at the door of the turbo lift and Kirk. Yeah, It was done really, really well. And I think it kind of sets the tone for some really neat camera effects that'll start to be integrated into the episodes or into the future episodes. And so I, I really liked it. I thought it was a, a, a great shot, even though it started super weird. One of the things that Shatner talked about uh, in Star Trek Memories was the fact that he believes one of the reasons Star Trek had such a staying power was a lot of the technical people that worked on it were people that were actually movie people. Now, um, Desilu at that time wasn't really doing a lot of movies. So people like Matt Jeffrey, Jeffries, who had worked on major films, was available to work on a TV show. Um, and that was part of actually uh, Lucy's uh, plan with Star Trek and with Mission Impossible was to try to show that, no, you can do high quality television with professionals and really make it look good, you know, and still do it on a television budget. Um, so one of the big advantages Star Trek really had over a lot of other science fiction shows is just the, the level of the quality of people that they had working on it. Yeah. I think that really shows through in a, a lot of the techniques that were used. It, it is very, very cool. Um, now, unfortunately they finish out this beautifully filmed scene with the most annoying turbo lift sound ever. The, the thing starts off with this high pitched whine <laughs> that starts to increase in volume as it goes up. I, I would have poked a hole in that speaker immediately. Um, so then we switch over to a different deck where we we're following uh, Ensign Green again. And Ensign? Lieutenant. I don't know. Who can tell on this episode? Green. Yeah. It's Crewman Green. green. Yeah. <laughs> And he walks down a hall and he just happens to run into Janice Rand. <laughs> Who's carrying a, carrying a, a cafeteria uh, tray oh. for some reason. She looks like she's delivering to a hotel room. Yeah. <laughs> now, this is where we see the, the salt and pepper shakers that they actually purchased salt and pepper shakers for. And they put them on this tray and went, those don't look like salt and pepper shakers. I don't know what those are. <laughs> So they went down to the commissary and they stole two gigantic salt and pepper shakers, like the full size kind that you see in a restaurant, <laughs> not the size that you take to a room with you when you've got a tray. But Green just does this great, like smacking his lips, staring at the salt, like, ah, oh, you've got salt. Oh my gosh. That's great. Um, so he, he gets in the elevator with Rand. They get off of the, uh, or excuse me, in the turbo lift. They get off of the turbo lift and we get into yet another of these cringy moments where they walk <laughs> down a hall and they run into what I can only explain as a West Side Story street gang. <laughs> Everybody's got their hair all greased back and they're all sitting around talking. 
And Janice starts walking by and they're like, Hey Janice, is that for me? How? <laughs> and he looks to his buddy and he goes, how would you like to have her as your personal yeoman? <laughs> what? Do they not have an HR department? <laughs> I, they oh. do, but it's all the way back on earth. <laughs> so here's the craziest thing about this though. The fact that this scene is in there was on purpose Gene was trying to make the ship feel like a community. Yes. Like, like, you know, you're just walking around town. And so he wanted to have this like vibe of all the different type of people in your neighborhood. Right. And I just, do you really have to believe that that's the kind of people you're going to have on a starship? <laughs> like this must've been before anybody thought of like, you know, the Academy. They were like, oh, you know, anybody can get on the starship. It's fine. Yeah, this is this is that whole thing of only having, uh, you know, one woman for every two men on the on the ship. Oh, you know? so gross. <laughs> um, the shot, though, cracks me up because two things strike me. First of all, you see the guy in the gold shirt, the red shirt and the blue shirt all standing there. And I can't help but think exactly how influential were the wiggles on the future. <laughs> but, <laughs> but then also nobody mentions that. Green's walking around the Enterprise completely strapped. He's he's got a phaser on his belt and he's just walking around and everyone's just like, well, that, yeah, that, that seems normal. Well, well, I mean, you know, we, we are cowboys. We're in the old west. So, you know, I'm I'm a little surprised he's not wearing his uh Federation issued spurs. What's up with that? Somebody should get a demerit for that. Um uh, the other thing is is why are these guys just hanging out in a hallway waiting to accost random women? Like, what's up with that? Nobody was doing anything. <laughs> We're part of the lieutenant's gang. <laughs> so we we get <laughs> we get out or we we find a botany lab. That's where Janice is heading into. So she heads into the botany lab. Uh to which I have to wonder, if it's a big enough lab, would you call it a bay? Perhaps a <laughs> botany bay sorry um so uh they walk in and so first off let's let's talk about this room for a minute there there is a a line of of potted plants right in the middle of the room and kind of maybe a a sort of an attempt at making some plants in the foreground too Uh, it kind of looks like uh, Sesame street, how there's always, you know, a, a wall in the middle of the room or something. Um, and then Sulu is sitting in the corner of the room at a table. Okay. And he's waiting for Rand to bring him his dinner. So she walks in, plops the dinner down and she looks over at the plant that's prominently displayed in the middle. And that plant is pink. And she walks up and says, Oh, Gertrude. Or no, I'm sorry. Beauregard. And Sulu goes, no, 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 that's Gertrude. And she explains to him that, no, 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 Beauregard's a gentleman. Ew. A woman can Um, always tell. Yeah. Which, okay, we're just going to leave that line right there. Yeah, it's a plant. Ew. Um, (laughs) So the the plant starts cooing and, and moving around and stuff. And we can see pretty clearly that that is a hand in a glove with tissue paper glued to it. Uh, it is in fact, uh, Bob Baker is the puppeteer who has the distinction of being Beauregard or Gertrude, the plant. (laughs) Um, this is apparently Grace Lee Whitney's favorite scene of the entire time she was in Star Trek. Uh, she, she really liked the, the puppets. She really liked the, 
they they apparently screwed around a little more the cast apparently had a really good time playing around with the puppet and and there was actually supposed to be more plants in here and they screwed around with those a little bit and apparently things got really very um inappropriate uh at one point uh beauregard did uh lift up her skirt and everybody had a good laugh because that's what you did in the 60s 60s on tv yeah Um, yeah considering grace lee whitney's history on the star trek thing yeah the innocent line that she says i keep expecting one of your plants to grab me is just so devastatingly cringy now does not age well at all no um so green comes in and uh gertrude freaks out and starts screaming to which i think um, if I ever came across a plant that could scream, I'd have a nice fire because <laughs> I'm not having plants screaming at me. Uh, so they all look at it and they're like, oh, that's, that's real weird. Huh, uh, bizarre. I've never seen a plant scream at anybody before. And so Green freaks out and leaves the room. And and Rand turns to Sulu and says, maybe he's gone space happy. <laughs> Which is, it's so nice to know that we are going to have euphemisms for PTSD in the future. That's, that's really nice. The, the guy, the guy just beamed down to a planet with a, you know, another crewman and he came back alone and nobody's just like, Oh, you know, right. At least on TNG, you know, Troy would have been waiting in the, in the transporter. Like, do you want to talk about this? (laughs) Not with you. Um, right. Yeah. So we get to a different deck. Now we're following Ahura. And uh, what we didn't see is that the creature, well, we did see it, but we don't know why. The creature turned into a very handsome guy who we've never seen before. We have no idea if he even is supposed to be on the ship. And he walks up to Ahura and is like, uh, like he doesn't really say anything to her. He just kind of creeps on her. (laughs) And she starts talking to him. He speaks to her a little bit and is like, no, 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 no. It's cool. Whatever. And then he speaks Swahili and she speaks Swahili back, which as the communications officer, who's probably got quite a history in language, I thought this was kind of cool. Gene Roddenberry actually uh, did research Swahili to try to get it into this. He had a a linguist give him the line. um, How are you, friend? I think of you, beautiful lady. You should never know loneliness. That's what he says to her. Nice. It's very pretty. Um, then he so, tries so to choke this, her out. So the salt monster's got moves. On top of right? everything else, the salt monster's got moves. Okay. And and then he tries to kill her. Uh, like, hey, now that you're attracted to me, I can wrap my hands around your throat. I was like, Great. why are you reaching for my face? Why do you are you reaching? Yeah. Don't get this one. Right. Oh, I so, just want to check. I want to check a Star Trek fact with you really quick. The guys in the overalls, those are crewmen. Is that what those are? The, oh, the white coveralls. Yeah. Um, so it depends on the episode. Uh, okay. Generally, I believe they are supposed to be just crewmen, but the old series, they call everybody crewmen at some point. Um, so sometimes it's supposed to be a designation. Sometimes it's just referring to somebody without knowing who they are. I gotcha. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, they're like the lowest class. They are the ones who clean everything out. They're the janitors, right? Right. They, you see them in the background in the old series a lot. Some of the other, or on the other shows, you don't ever see that. Yeah. Cause um, I, I'm thinking of specifically of the drumhead and, uh, 
and the crewman is actually wearing a regular uniform at that point. Yeah. So, well, and it was just a curiosity. Series, whenever they went to a planet that was like involved in mining or any kind of dirty work or whatever, they were all wearing coveralls like that. True. You good. Good point. Um, so, uh, Sulu and Rand come walking by all of a sudden, even though they're on a different deck, I'm not really sure why they're here now. <laughs> They come walking by and her is like, oh, uh, there's my ride. I got to go. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, our salt monster is left to his own devices again or her, its devices, whatever. <laughs> so uh, um, and she also got a phone call from the bridge. I forgot about that. Oh, that's um, right. Kirk kept on kept on yelling at her. Right. Uh, so then McCoy calls Kirk. Uh, and Kirk is eating on the bridge. He's on a view screen, plate in his hand. Nom, 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 nom. Like, <laughs> this is hilarious. It's so weird. And like, they make a point of him eating. Like, <laughs> so he gets done talking to McCoy and then he sit, he stands over there and talks to her for a minute and he's just munching away on his little gummies or whatever he's eating. Like, I honestly, I think they were going to, they were trying to go for like somebody, one of the producers was like, Hey, in the future, we all eat food tablets. We don't eat like a steak. So make sure he actually eats food tablets on screen. And he does it. He does it. He spends all his time on the bridge. So I've always kind of thought that, you know, there's a ready room available to him and he never used it. He's always sitting on the bridge. So my theory is the way he really got his, his command crew's loyalty is he turned his ready room into a really nice executive washroom. <laughs> that that's anybody on the bridge could use. And I think that's really why that, that crew stayed with him for so many years. I mean, don't get me wrong. I I'd be really interested in the fact that there's a great toilet up there, <laughs> but you know, he also built Kirk's private hot tub in there too. <laughs> like, Whoa. <laughs> and the whole, the whole food pills thing, this kind of starts a, uh, a problematic relationship Star Trek as a franchise as the original series will have uh, just with in the answer being to inject things or pop some pills, right? <laughs> we find lots of problems could be solved by injecting yourself or popping pills. Can I just go back to the hot tub for a second? Cause I have to say <laughs> I, I moved into a house years ago. I bought a brand new house. I had never really like half the house was unused. And, uh, we had a Halloween party and when we had that Halloween party, somebody showed up dressed as Shrek and they had painted themselves green oh. from head to toe. They went into one of my bathrooms and took a shower to wash all that off. And when I came in after everybody had left, there was a bright green ring around that entire bathtub where the level of water had gotten up to with all of that green paint in it. Oh. Thankfully for me, that all washed out. It was not a big deal. <laughs> but that's exactly how I picture Kirk's hot tub. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying, it's, it's got that permanent green ring. <laughs> anyway, I digress. Uh, then Nancy is, is uh, we find her dressed at or no nancy is now the handsome man who doesn't have a name she's running <laughs> down the hallway chasing mr pockets i'm not sure who this guy is but he is wearing this outfit that is covered in pockets and it, it's like um like somebody you know those shower curtains that have pockets for shampoo in them 
It's like somebody threw one of those over him, but the pockets weren't clear. And they've got numbers written on them. Because they're space pockets. Right? (laughs) Uh, Interesting, though. I did find an article that said that this is actually from a different sci-fi show. And right down to the actual numbers printed on the pockets, it's actually the same exact. Somebody just went to the to the costume department and pulled it. Nice. Uh, so we go back to the bridge and Kirk's eating again. <laughs> yeah, we're going to know. You're going to realize why that whole uh, middle of Captain Kirk kind of goes up and down. <laughs> What I love about this, though, is that they decide they're going to go back on an away mission. So as he's walking out the door, there's this woman standing there holding a tray like she came in, gave him some food. And he's like, no, stand there. (laughs) And he comes over, kind of drops a plate on there. He's like, tosses a napkin and walks out. And I'm like, and you can just you, you can hear in her head four years at the academy for this. Right? I beat the Kobayashi Maru, damn it. <laughs> this is when Jim Kirk had the, the notorious nickname Captain Snacks. <laughs> uh, so we go, now we flash over to McCoy's room because McCoy is sweating by himself in his room. And get a good look, everyone, because this is the only time this episode is the only time you're going to see the number Coy's quarters. So take a good look. Well, is it the only time we're going to see his quarters or is it the only time we're going to see this room called McCoy's quarters? Ah. So I'm fairly sure this stands in for like every bedroom. Yes. That's that's for everyone. Sometimes they take the bed and move it into the middle of the room because a pretty lady is going to come around the backside of it while Kirk is laying on the, in the <laughs> foreground. Which again, what happened between Pike's Enterprise and Jim Kirk's Enterprise? Because man, Pike's Enterprise, everybody's got you know a four bedroom uh, loft apartment as their quarters. <laughs> yeah, this room could fit on Pike's countertop. <laughs> um, <laughs> so Nancy comes in. She brings a doorbell, and he's like, "Oh, hey, Nancy, what's up? You're here. That's cool." <laughs> no. Uh, uh, Hey, Jim, I found her. <laughs> no, no. He's just like, what's up, Nancy? Hey, uh, you want to make out? So okay. Nancy walks over and they <laughs> 60s make out. <laughs> let me let me just say this from a guy perspective also. So you're hanging out in your apartment and you open your door and your ex-girlfriend who has gone missing just happens to be hanging out outside. Yeah. No red flags at all on that. None. Right. Oh, and by the way, she also aged about 15, 20 years in that time, too. Because he totally had that moment where he's looking at her. He's like, uh, you know what? I'll allow it. <laughs> so she comes in and they have the most awkward kiss. And I have to admit, it, it was one of those things that I was like, I forgot how weird intimacy was on TV in the 60s. That like, first off, men are big and strong. And second off, you're not kissing a woman right unless you break her shoulders and her neck. <laughs> it's so uncomfortable. Also, I would you, just you squeeze to, you into a smaller woman. <laughs> and and their lips have to apply at least 150 pounds of force. <laughs> Ugh. 
Uh, we flash out to the corridor and we see Mr. Pockets is dead. <laughs> Not even his aluminum foil gloves could save <laughs> Mr. Pockets. <laughs> so then we're back into to Bones' room and uh, he's not looking great. He took one of those little red pills. Hey, <laughs> I, I, I took one of those little red ones. They're really good. So like coffee and like Mexican food, this episode is, establishes that lewds will still be around in the future. Right. It's funny because <laughs> the or the cast of Star Trek was just discovering lewds, but the crew of Star <laughs> Trek knew all about it. <laughs> so he's like, will you, will you touch my face until I fall asleep? It's really cre- creepy is the way she's just like stroking his chin. <laughs> Over and over. That's where all the salt was collecting. Right. Um, Okay. She did at one point lick her fingers. That was pretty funny. Oh, yeah. Because you know that man's sweating like crazy. (laughs) So we go back down to planet side and it gets weird again. (laughs) Kirk and Spock are like, hey, (laughs) we just want to talk. And the professor is like squatting behind some rocks. <laughs> I um, swear to God. Not, not, not right now. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm actually quite busy. Thank you. <laughs> hey, guys. I'm not going to talk unless you got two squares. Come on. <laughs> After you told me the whole thing, it looks like he's going to the bathroom. I just not get that out of my head. <laughs> But he totally does. You go back and watch that again. That man just got caught in the bushes. Get us away. I really love that the first time they're on the planet, the spot he's standing in and the spot they're standing in were level playing ground. This time they have to look up to see him, (laughs) which makes the bathroom analogy all the more disturbing. Okay. <laughs> um, so Spock is wandering around behind Kirk while Kirk is having this uncomfortable conversation. And Spock's like, uh, Jim, you better get back here and see this because <laughs> they found green. He's dead. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> I love when Kirk, but we beamed him back to the Enterprise and Spock. So there's like, well, you beam something back to the Enterprise <laughs> and just the, the tone of Spock's like, he leaves out the word idiot, but you can just hear it pretty <laughs> much in his delivery. <laughs> yeah. Genius. you beam something up. Wow. You've heard that yeah. one out, huh? It turns out we have quarantine <laughs> rules for a reason. Huh? Go figure. Uh, I also liked it. Everywhere Shatner goes, if he pulls out his phaser, he's going to almost drop that thing. Oh, I know. This is hilarious. He could he not just keep his hands not, on it. He couldn't. I, I don't know if it was the shape of the thing or the way he was doing it. I honestly, I kind of want to go back and watch some of his guest spots on Westerns and see if he did the same <laughs> thing with like Colts. Oh. It looks like in, in that one scene when he picks up, it looks like he's going to throw it at the guy because it goes flying out of his hand. Right? It was great. <laughs> And it's that, that moment, like when you pull your phone out of your pocket and you almost throw it across the room, it, he did that every time. <laughs> so uh, they, they pull out their guns and we're, we're about to have some really nasty stuff go down. But first we're going to go back to the bridge for red alert. Cause I hey, did like green isn't oh, green. 
right? They let him know. They all know there's something going on. The other thing that I really like about this is um, Sulu calling general quarters. Um, I mean, once again, we're on a submarine. <laughs> I, I don't know if you guys were aware. Roddenberry's a Navy man. <laughs> Duh. Um, so they start calling general quarters. Everybody starts running around like crazy. <laughs> I I often wonder, though, on these ships, like the people who are off duty, I get you're like, you know, going to the holodeck or the rec room or hanging out in the cafeteria or whatever. But everybody else who's there doing their job, why are they so far away from their stations? <laughs> like everybody's just running around like a chicken with their head cut off. And it's like, you know, you probably shouldn't be more than like five feet away from your work in today. Maybe the engineers, like if all the engineers were running and all the red and blue shirts were just kind of like, oh, I got to walk back over here. Mm. I, I could believe it. Because basically like Scotty, most of the people on the crew are only doing about a third of what they're capable of. So oh, that's true. Yeah, you know, know. Eh, nothing's going to happen today. I'm going to go see what Jim's doing over in, you know, you know what? That's why we didn't really see Scotty in season one that much is because <laughs> he, he was honestly, he was down in engineering reading manuals. He's like, <laughs> if they ever find out that I don't know what I'm doing, I'm in big trouble. <laughs> I'm going to assume they didn't like Jim Kirk that much. So he was just kind of hiding out from him constantly. <laughs> Where's Scotty? He was just here. I swear. <laughs> So they do this great shot of the same hallway we've looked at before, but everybody's freaking out and running every which way. But the way that they film this, the extras were going to get their screen time. <laughs> there is a woman in blue and it's one of those early uh, crewman dresses. That's, that's a wraparound. And she starts strutting towards the camera and you can see that she's walking. And then as soon as the other extras part in front of her, she decides she's going to make everything wiggle in just the right way. <laughs> and she starts like, I was waiting for the music to be like, ba-doom, 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 ba-doom. like it was just, it was a bit over a bit much. You know, it, so, it was so ridiculous that after the 23rd time watching it, I, I just yeah, can't right. take it anymore. So as soon as she gets off screen, Majel Barrett comes walking out <laughs> from the side <laughs> in pants, no less. I, Okay, I found this great. I was I was reading through trivia stuff about this episode, and they talked about the fact that this is the only time for quite a while that a woman's going to wear pants on the on the Enterprise. Charlie and, X, there'll be one one as well. Yes, yeah. exactly. Um, but what they didn't mention is that it's Majel Barrett who's wearing those pants. Yeah, I didn't realize that until you told me. Well, I was looking at it. I rewound a couple times because I'm like, I'm pretty sure that's her. And the way that she walks sideways into the shot stares directly at the camera and then swings her head around and marches off the other direction. Oh yeah. That's Jean's girlfriend. Oh yeah. <laughs> then for some reason, a beekeeper runs by. I'm not sure what that's about. <laughs> well, and after this random assortment of street extras walks by, then we're going to have our street thugs come down and walk down the hallway again. They're the only ones walking the other direction. And they're taking their time. Now, an <laughs> article on Memory Alpha claimed that this shot was actually a shot that was not used in Where No Man Has Gone Before because it cuts just before Gary Mitchell walks by. Oh, nice. Well, so that what that tells us is that the street thugs have been on this show for a while. So while everybody's freaking out on the ship, 
we're going to head back down to planet side where everything's nice and calm, except for a gunfight. And what's the first thing that has to happen if you're in a gunfight? Well, you got to drop on the ground and roll around in the dirt, (laughs) which is exactly what Shatner does. And then Spock's going to do it too. So they roll around in the dirt for a little bit. They exchange fire. Um, I will say for an archaeologist, Professor Crater is pretty flippant about just blowing up uh, parts of of, uh, old ruins. (laughs) You know, I I got to say, taking care of this stuff, this is my life's work. This is what makes (laughs) my life worth living. But you guys took my girlfriend, my alien girlfriend. Now, I really like the part where he yells out there, either I'll kill you or you'll kill me. I don't care either way. And I'm just thinking at that point when he just yell, well, can I choose the option where I kill you? Right. If you don't care, (laughs) why are we doing this? (laughs) Because I do. I have a suggestion. (laughs) (laughs) So we go back to the bridge and fake McCoy's there. Now, I can't figure out if it's because it's McCoy or if it's because McCoy is technically being uh, inhabited by a lady, I guess, kind of, sort of. <laughs> but the Vaseline camera is real heavy on him again. <laughs> now, what I, I'm not sure about, it, it may have been that they were using the same camera to look at him that they used to look at Ahura. Because Ahura always got the Vaseline oh, camera yes. whenever they did it up close. So I'm not sure if they just reused it or if they were like, you know, uh, the the doctor's really sweaty again. We should probably use the Vaseline cam. But anyway, so he stands there and he just gets the creepiest look on his face as he just observes everybody <laughs> telling him the entire plan. And, <laughs> and even Sulu's kind of like, this is really weird because at this point you should be yelling at me or saying something right? stupid or just barking at somebody. And instead you're just like, what's going on? And first of all, it's kind of bizarre because I'm guessing it's spirit week on the enterprise and everyone gets mm-hmm. to trade jobs because when he gets on the board, Sulu's at the communications and Uhura's at the science. Now I'm not saying she's not capable of having a science station. I'm just saying, why is everybody in different chairs all of a sudden? everybody's got a different job. It's so weird. <laughs> and switch. Right. Um, maybe it's one of those things that, Oh, Hey, did you know the captain's down on the planet? Hey, <laughs> let's switch chairs and see if he notices. <laughs> <laughs> so we go back down to planet side. We're still in the middle of a gunfight. Now, Kirk and Spock are now around a pillar and the professor fires a shot at the pillar. And when he does, it explodes and it's a <laughs> big explosion yes, for a TV yes. show. And Kirk and Spock both go away from it. Now, after reading on this, apparently both of these men to the, well, Nimoy till his dying day and uh, Shatner till now have tinnitus and they both blame it on that explosion. <laughs> that part I didn't know. Yeah. Um, they, they said that it was made worse by the fact that, you know, in their careers, they spent a lot of time around explosions because, you know, there wasn't as, as strict safety protocols, but they both said that that explosion was overdone and that it hurt their hearing and that the tinnitus kicked up really bad right there. Oh, wow. Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting. 
Then they both devise a plan to flank this guy. And Kirk says, use a quarter stun. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) (laughs) So they flank him. And when they get around there, Spock's like, don't move. And Kirk comes over and shoots him. (laughs) (laughs) And when he shoots him, the gun makes this weird pew noise that sounds like a bullet ricochet, which I found out after the fact, it is is a bullet bullet ricochet. (laughs) Um, And the guy, the way that they filmed this, I mean, clearly they didn't do post-production because they did a phaser blast and what it looked like when he got hit. And he like turns sideways and it, it looks like they like moved the camera forward and backwards a couple of frames because he just like moved in this really herky jerky way and stopped while purple lights shot outward from him <laughs> indicating he had been stunned. And then in case you weren't aware that he had just been shot with a stun gun, they slowed down his audio. <laughs> So he starts talking slow. <laughs> it was pretty darn funny. It was a great battle, a great fight scene. It but was. It got it got what the, the what the network wanted. They wanted action, and uh, hey, blowing blowing up old ruins, you know. Right, they got it, and then of course they interrogate him, and he's like, "Yeah, yeah she's an alien." Sorry. Um, you know, he's the last one. Um, uh, he killed my wife, which that sucked, but you know, then he was lonely and he didn't have anybody. So he turned into my wife. Uh, it was great. Don't judge me. I didn't think anyone was going to come to this planet and she looks just like Raquel Welch. Right. <laughs> okay. So go wait back a second. To, oh. There's, he gives the whole Buffalo Oh, speech though and this oh, is problematic God. because he gives the whole buffalo is like they're just like the, the buffalo that used to you know roam north america and there was bunches of them and and now there aren't okay well the story you're alluding to is that they ran out of resources and died off that's not what happened to the buffalo so which one is it what okay first of all did they just run out of salt and they died off or did the civilization that create that created all those ruins you know bump off all these things or did robert nancy crater just take up the hobby of shooting these things and figured out oh you know what there's not a lot of them left at this point it just no he he was shooting them and then he went oh they can turn into girls (laughs) whoa (laughs) i mean there if you think about this scenario it's real cringy in a lot of ways yeah yeah because and but more importantly, I think to your point about the Buffalo, that feels like a studio note that the NBC execs were like, listen, nobody in who's watching TV knows what the word extinct means. <laughs> like, I honestly, I am dead serious. I think that's what happened. And they were I like, well, right. let's talk about the Buffalo because people know the Buffalo are dying. Like, really? <laughs> Pretty sure that they can teach the word extinct. Yeah, I you know what? I think you're absolutely right. <laughs> um so we jump back to the ship. Deck five, report. Uh yeah, security three area here. Um uh, just checking out babes. Uh, let's know what's up. Because <laughs> of course it's our street thugs again. Was Lieutenant Fabian there? I expect him to like pull out a comb at some point. <laughs> right? Man, he he did have some excellent brill cream going on. <laughs> wow. <laughs> So there, that, that leads us to the briefing room 
where for some reason now Kirk and Spock are back on the ship. I'm not really sure when they got there, but they did. <laughs> and they're talking about how they're going to catch this creature. Unfortunately, Bones is also sitting there. And they don't know yet, of course, that Bones is not the Bones they know and love. <laughs> so they start talking about, like, well, what are we going to do? How are we going to find it? Have we considered using bait? And, and, and uh, Spock is like, well, yeah, we've put salt all over the bridge or all over the ship. And we're, we're bound to get, get it somewhere. And I love Bones' reaction of, yeah, um, maybe we should just give it the salt and let it go. <laughs> <laughs> I say we let him go. <laughs> oh my God. It was so good. And the way he's looking around all nervous and everything and everything, but he's just looking at him like, did you really just say that? dude?" <laughs> Lenny, you got to go lay down, man. <laughs> You've been uh, eating those red pills again. Jeez. <laughs> How many times we got to tell you to cut that out? Do not come to meetings <laughs> after you've had a red pill. <laughs> um, I did also notice in this scene, you can see how shoddy the sets are in this, in this show, because the, uh, there's all the little boxes on the, the table in front of Kirk with like, there's a speaker and there's a bunch of buttons and all this stuff. The speaker, the, uh, the speaker grill is like peeling out of the box already. And it's like all <laughs> shredded at the edges. And you're like, um, somebody poked that thing and nobody fixed it. <laughs> this lends into my theory that Scotty really didn't like Kirk too much at this point. He was just letting everything go to hell. Right. <laughs> could you fix that? Uh, I mean, earlier who had to ask somebody just in the court in the corridor, Hey, could you fix my door and everything? He's like, you don't call that an engineering. Yeah, we don't anymore. That's uh, right. There's no point. I'll teach you to make me wear a jumpsuit. <laughs> I've got a trouble ticket out on your missing speaker <laughs> facing and I'll pay up to get it to you later. <laughs> Wait till he finds the treble that I put in his locker. <laughs> All right. On, uh, so the professor, can you, uh, you, you seem to think you know where it's at. Can you tell us? And he looks directly at Bones, who has just said weird crap. <laughs> looks back at everybody like, um... No, I'm not telling you nothing. <laughs> Spock is like, I'll use truth serum. <laughs> First off, what the hell is truth serum? <laughs> There's no such thing as truth serum. <laughs> I, I kind of, I think it would have been a better scene if Spock had just held up his hand and pulled off a black glove and bent and held up the mind meld hand and been like, yeah, I'm going to use my truth serum. <laughs> Actually, he's my fist. I call one truth and the other serum. Sorry, <laughs> I'm gonna do the thing where he's just about to reach up to him and then just have him slap him. <laughs> my mind to your mind. I've got your truth serum for you right here. <laughs> so uh, we're gonna fly over to Sick Bay again, and this time we find that Spock's been knocked out, and the professor's dead. He's he's got pineapples on his face, just like everybody else. <laughs> and we see the green blood. We do see green blood for the first time. Um, apparently, Gene was not happy about that. It was the makeup people who decided to use green blood. And Gene was like, no, he does not have green blood. That's stupid. And so he tried to get it changed in post-production and he was shot down. Yeah, one so, account I, I read okay. said it had been discussed earlier and Gene said no and uh, the director Mark Daniels did it anyway. Yeah, well, 
Gene lost that fight and it persists even today. Um, all the way to uh, the most modern of Star Trek movies. They're still calling him a green blooded bastard. <laughs> you know, the, the Klingons may not have gotten to keep their Pepto-Bismol, but, <laughs> but the, the Vulcans can keep green. green. Right. Uh, so we hop over to McCoy's room again uh, and Nancy comes flying in and Leonard, you got to wake up Leonard. They're going to kill me. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Now I'm really confused at this point. Why are we just not giving it some salt? Right. Like just, (laughs) Hey, you want some salt? Can you calm down if we give you salt? (laughs) We've got like tons of salt. (laughs) We will give you enough to last you a lifetime. If you just like chill with the killing people. Um, and actually, uh, uh, the something I read said the original script um, that was put forward, the monster, first of all, crater, crater lives mm-hmm. and the monster does appeal to them to try to come to some sort of understanding. And Roddenberry came in and said, no, it's a monster. Kill it. <laughs> I would have figured that would have been one of the execs. <laughs> yeah, I know it was kind of like it, but uh, yeah, Roddenberry didn't, didn't like the, uh, the touchy feely too much. And uh, on it. Nice. Like, nope. Shoot it. It's a monster. Shoot it. So, uh, yeah. So Kirk comes in. He's got salt tablets in his hand. He's like, here, Nancy. Come here, Nancy. Who's a good girl? <laughs> so, I, so uh, the, the professor doesn't want to let this happen. So the professor kind of freaks out a little bit. And what does he do? He, he causes a ruckus and Kirk drops the salt. And I don't know if they meant it to be a throwaway or not, but it was like almost off screen. She grabs all the little pellets and's like, blah, 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 <laughs> and jams them all in her mouth. I, I I saw that in the corner of my eye, and I'm like, huh, it's weird that they let that go off screen. She did that really well. <laughs> but oh so, man, then comes the, the professor. It was uh, Bones that did that. Um, come, but next comes the best part of the entire show. <laughs> when Spock comes in and uh, starts wailing on her. Oh man. <laughs> Spock comes in and he's like, okay, that's not Nancy. And Bones <laughs> like, yes, it is. And he's like, oh yeah. And he puts his hands together and uses the big double fist action and starts wailing on her right in the face. And she just stands there going, uh, 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 whatever. <laughs> I don't care. And he goes, would your Nancy have been able to withstand that? <laughs> it does seem like this is the only way you could test it. Mr. Logical, Mr. Science, the only way to test it. Well, I'm going to punch it a bunch of times and see what happens. <laughs> see? It's so good. Um, I also, I did notice that when she hits him back and Spock goes sprawling, do you notice he has a little glittery bandaid on his head? Oh, I missed that part. They did not have dermal regenerators. They had glittery band-aids. <laughs> um okay so kirk goes to try to attack her and she swings him around and she's on top of him and she takes on her true form which is the sucker face thing because at this point she's so ticked off because kirk was the last person she wanted to take salt from and now she's being put in a position that honestly i have to do this you guys are actually making me do this if i'm gonna do this you're gonna see what this is really going on (laughs) You know what, dude? You don't even get to see a semi—you don't even get to see a semi-attractive older woman, right? <laughs> Ugh. 
So, uh, yeah. So she turns into the weird sucker hand, sucker face thing. Uh, incidentally, this was a clay model that they made, um, and covered it with latex and then ripped out all the clay. <laughs> that was, that was actually one of the, uh, stories that I read. Another story said that he actually made it off of a gas mask, but uh. I don't know which one's true. There, there were too many, too many stories about it. Yeah. Um, but he did take a fur jumpsuit and strap that on there to which I have to wonder where the heck did he find a fur jumpsuit at fur but, jumpsuit world. Right. <laughs> which is way better than fur jumpsuit land on the other side of town. Oh, uh, good point. Yeah. You don't want to go there unless you're desperate. Right. Um, so this is a great scene because this person who's dressed in this costume is going after Kirk and it's the Bella Lugosi vampire move. The <laughs> I'm going to go as slow as possible. And Shatner's like, no. <laughs> and they do the Thurman sound. They play into so oh, yeah. many horror tropes because they do the reveal then now at the very end. You see the monster. And now the monster, oh. you know, now you hear the Thurman music. And now the monster slowly moves towards its last victim. Yeah, and then, they, of course, as soon as the suckers touch his face, he screams bloody murder. <laughs> he so, had a feeling that Shatner just loves to yell, just loves oh, to scream. Yeah. <laughs> so then they shoot her. Then she dies. And she she turns into Nancy, turns into the monster, turns into Nancy, turns into the monster. And then you have the monster dead on the floor. A monster who is a shapeshifter can take on the form of anyone it wants. And it's wearing rope <laughs> to cover itself. I it it was weird because it was like it was like a piece of macrame wrapped around it, and it it really had that look of like, um, is that thing naked? <laughs> I don't I don't think the sensors are going to let it on screen if it's naked. Put some string on it, but but it doesn't have genitals. Uh, yeah, but I think it's naked. We can't, we can't even let people think that there might be genitals and try to look for them. All right. That's just right. We have advertisers to to worry about. Okay, (laughs) Brought to you by Marlboro. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So we go back to the bridge and we get the weird smirky end, which I mean, (laughs) what are you going to do? Which, um, for me the ending because the, at the very end spot goes you know and asks the you know kirk you know you think you know his for his thoughts which i usually end up and all i could think of you know what i was thinking about mr spock i was thinking about the buffalo i was thinking about the buffalo and how what crater was actually talking about were bison not buffalo yeah bison and you know both bison and buffalo still exist on the planet earth and i'm thinking <laughs> just how wrong you eggheads were the entire time <laughs> that, that's what i'm thinking mr spock see i thought they should have ended it by a full report to starfleet of how their routine medical checkup ended in seven people dead (laughs) which is weird because i mean even my worst dentist appointment three people died at tops you know (laughs) like i'm getting a little worried i was supposed to go have a physical soon i'm like i'm not bringing anybody with me Somewhere back in Starfleet Command. Well, the Enterprise just checked in. Yeah. Seven this time. this time. Oh, God. The man's an idiot. Wow. Seven. <laughs> They're actually under quota. <laughs> uh, 
So that that is the end of the uh, the first episode of Star Trek: The Old Series. Um, it's terrible, but uh, you know it gave us something we all love. So and it was really that. bizarre because coming up with the name of the Man Trap, and as you mentioned, it was supposed to be the Unreal McCoy, but instead they gave it the name of what you would expect to be like a Rock Hudson and uh, <laughs> a Dinosaur movie, you know. Uh, uh, it just seemed really that, that 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 title just really did not fit the story. Yeah, it, it was pretty bizarre. Um, I and was it really a trap? I mean, really, all it, <laughs> all it was was this guy who was like, "I want salt, and I will take any form I can to get salt." It's not really a trap if you guys just show up here unannounced, and I didn't know you were coming. Right? That's not really a trap. Like I was, I was seriously just going to tuck into eating the professor, but <laughs> you guys showed up and I was like, well, that yeah, works. And all of this could have been avoided if I had just been able to open that stupid bottle. Right. <laughs> I don't know. Um, so this is how we found out that uh, NBC execs were kind of weird in the sixties. This, <laughs> this is before everything got moved over to CBS. Um, Desi Lou had great talent. And yes, they, they showed it off really well. Um, the producers of Star Trek, however, liked to do things really cheap. <laughs> um, also, TV Guide, they were so wrong. Bunch of jerks. Yeah. Yeah. Because this did really well in primetime for a while. Then it didn't. Then it did. Then it really didn't. And then all the other shows did way better in primetime. <laughs> and, until Voyager. Then they didn't. <laughs> and, then, and then they did on DS9 and then they didn't and well then Enterprise didn't anyway <laughs> streaming is saving the franchise he <laughs> meant to that <laughs> okay I've rambled on enough uh, thank you everybody for joining us for, thank for you. this special episode for Star Trek Day uh, join us next time as we do something we're not really sure yet we're going to figure it out we're, we're rolling the dice and trying to figure something out yeah, um, but we'll come back pretty soon. Uh, in the meantime, thank you to our special friends over at Five Year Mission for the use of their songs, Beam Down, as our intro and outro. Thank you. Uh, be sure to check them out over at fiveyearmission.net where they have a song for every episode of TOS grouped into albums for each season. It's really good stuff. <laughs> I so highly cool. advise listening to it. All right, guys, thanks again, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Have a good week. 16